So with us today is Erica Hall from Mule Design, co-founder of Mule Design, and you've held a variety of positions over the years, designer, user researcher, what else? Oh, gosh. Book author? Well, <laughs> author. Yeah, now I'm a multiple-time author, which is weird, because um, you just sort of go into a fugue state when you write a book, and uh, and you come out, and you're like, well, I have a book now. Wow, that's weird. Um and I guess because, you know, it's it's my company, so I can call myself whatever I want. Um, then it's been that way for a while. So it's weird talking about job titles. I've done everything except I'm a, I'm a crappy visual designer, but everything else I've done competently. What do, you, what do you tend to do on projects these days? Well, we're really we're moving. Mule is kind of moving since so many people are building big internal design teams. We're really moving more towards organizational consulting and training because people have these big, awesome teams, and then they don't know what to do with those big, awesome teams because they hire all these young designers, and they're just like, uh, what do we do? So... We're helping people with that now a lot more than doing like we're wrapping up our last real traditional design projects. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so what I do is really uh, tell people they're doing it wrong, I guess, now is, is mostly my job and helping <laughs> helping them do it right. So your first book was Just Enough Research or your first uh, a book apart book. Um, yeah. And that was on don't get too hung up on is that like the the lean and mean sort of like user testing kind of <laughs> well it's um uh, it was really designed because I, I felt like i and, and all of us at mule and a lot of designers working with clients or internally had to make the case for doing research as part of design and i thought this was crazy right you have these same conversations over and over again with why do we have to do research why can't we just start designing and and having to argue for making well-informed decisions was just uh really frustrating and all of the books out there about design research were like 500 pages long (laughs) and and they cost eighty dollars right so if you're going to this client and you're, or you're going to this design team and you're saying, hey, you should really do research. It should be a part of your process. It's, it's easy to start doing. Here, read a 500-page book. That's not like making your case. And so I said, fine, you know, I'm going to, the title, I thought of the title first. I'm like, I have to tell people because everybody worries about doing it right too. That's, that's always the concern. It's like, oh, we're going to do our own research. We have to do a, a certain amount. Like that was one of the big barriers people would throw up is like, well, if we can't do the whole thing, like let's just not do research at all, which is totally irrational. So I said, okay, I'm going to write the shortest possible book (laughs) about design research that just tells you there's no certain amount. And I hate the term guerrilla research. I hate it, hate it (laughs) because that implies that doing more or spending more money or having a fancy lab is better. And it's not, it's like, do the amount you need to answer the questions. So you're not just going off wishful thinking. And, and so that's why I wrote that book to say, just do enough research. And what that means sort of depends. And it's a really, I want it to be just an accessible introduction to, Oh, how, how do I make sure I have the information I need to design things? And the new one's uh, conversational design, and it just came mm-hmm. out last month, I think. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. Is that um, mostly about um, designing conversational inter- UI, like audio UI and bots and stuff? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> 
it is about, uh, like it touches on that, but it's about using uh, human conversation as a model for human-centered interaction design. Because if you look at uh, these like chat interfaces and voice interfaces, they're still really device centric, right? It's like, cause it's all about the limitations of the device, but it sort of fakes you out. It like talks to you like, Oh, I'm Siri. I'm talking to you like a human, but I have no idea what you're saying. So it's actually harder to use for a regular person than just a web page. And so the idea is if you look at what makes interactions among humans, you know, who are intelligent systems uh, who don't read minds, so you have to have kind of this interface. If you look at why conversation works at all, that is a great guide to designing digital systems now that every function in modern life requires interacting with a digital system. Then you can, you can look at those principles and use those principles, but that doesn't mean that the most conversational feeling system is... Uh, is going to be something that you talk to or text. Yeah, I feel like we're in a weird spot right now with uh, when I think of interactions with Siri or Alexa or, or, or things that are trying to be smart, um, where I'm used to interacting with a computer where I stop and I go, okay, I'm just going to speak pure robot. I'm going to write some code. And then the, the computer <laughs> will tell me something back. And then you have the other side when you talk to people and you go, I'm going to talk purely in normal speak and they'll tell me stuff back. And then Siri, you're in the middle and it's like, wait, okay. So I had to talk in a fake half robot, half human. So um, I have to start with, hey, Siri. And then mm -hmm. I got to structure my query. Like my phone is firing off. Of course it is. Um, yeah, yesterday I was trying to uh, play a, a, a song by someone, and I was like, oh, shit, what's the order of the phrasing? Um, right. I, I've got to say song name by band name, you know, song title. And if I get those any of those out of order, it won't work at all. Um, <laughs> and and it, that's so it, hard. Yeah, right, because I'm in a weird middle ground. And, yeah, if we moved more towards human, if we could start, the design process with how do people regularly talk, that'd probably be a lot easier. Yeah, because it's all about the principles of what makes it work. So like one of the examples I use is Google, like Google search. Uh, that's been a really, really successful interface. And it actually works a lot like according to these conversational principles. And that's why it's so such a popular starting place. Like it's so many people's starting place for doing stuff on the web. Because you go there, uh, you kind of type whatever, and now you can, you can talk at it. And it does a really good job of interpreting. And it does a really good job of, um, of error handling, because when you look at how like you and I talk to each other, and we're not, if you're not a jerk, right, you don't bust people for precision. Like if I use the wrong word, or use the wrong word, or don't say a whole sentence, I fill in the gaps in my mind. I'm like, oh, I know what you're trying to say. And I know what you're trying to, what we're talking about. I know what goal we have. And, and Google works really well to do that. So it's turn-based. It feels like it's kind of like Google's goals and your goals are kind of the same. Like, it's like, oh, I want you to get you to a useful link. And you're like, I want to get to a useful link. And then if you type in something that's kind of like mangled garbage, as long as you're close, um, as long as you're close to the intention, like I typed in like lasagna recipe all misspelled and it gave me lasagna recipes because it had all that data knowing 
you know, the mistakes people make and stuff like that. So just doing that feels really like a conversation. Whereas like talking to one of these, um, so-called artificially intelligent, um, assistant devices is often terrible because it doesn't follow, it doesn't follow the principles. It just copies the surface. Yeah. The, uh, I think the, I feel like the message of your talk when I saw you give a talk about this subject at, was it Talkabot in 2016? Yeah. Was that, you know, we've, we've made no progress past um, phone tree systems that are, you know, don't let you, don't let you even type a button, but you have to speak. Like those are um, my version of hell. Um, yeah. You, you know, agent, agent. I want an agent. <laughs> like, oh God, those are the worst. Um, it's, it's so awful. But, but you look at like, if you step back and look at what's really working for people, like why is the web so popular? One of the reasons the web is so popular is because we don't have to talk to other people to do stuff. Yeah. You know, cause talking to other people isn't always pleasant, right? It's so much better to like go on my phone to order takeout food and hit a couple buttons. I don't want to all of a sudden have the same experience as getting on the phone and talking to somebody. Like booking travel, I love just seeing all the options. Like that's the easiest thing for me. I don't want to have a conversation about that. And so it's a matter of from the human's perspective, what is actually easier? And I think there are a lot of engineers saying, oh, now we can get computers to almost sort of pretend to be people, but that's not better because usually people don't actually want to interact with other people. <laughs> that's true. So that book is at bookapart.com and for yep. sale now. But that's not what we're here to talk about today. No. We're going to talk about uh, triathlons. And I have a million questions because I've never done one. And I've always, I was a runner in high school. I've been a cyclist mm -hmm. my whole life. Uh, and I'm a shitty, shitty swimmer. Um, mm -hmm. And I just don't. I have so many questions. I don't know. How did you All get right. How did you get started? Like, what was your sport background that even got you on this path? <laughs> How many have you done, like, et cetera? Um, what are your future plans? Gosh. Um, my, I had no real – what was my sport background? Uh, <laughs> I've, always, I've always really liked just riding bikes. That's been something that's been just important to me uh, ever since I was a kid, but not in a competitive way. I was a, a huge nerd in high school. Uh, my sport was academic decathlon. <laughs> You were uh, a mathlete? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was a, I was totally a mathlete. Um, I got a jacket. They gave us letter jackets for this. Wow. Okay. I went to a real nerdy school in LA where they, you know, we were a very successful team and, uh, and we were sort of, it was us and the track team. We were like the heroes, but, um, uh, I don't, let's see, I don't remember how I really got, and then I went out for the rowing team in college just cause, and I was really, I really sucked, but it was a great experience. And, um, and then I, I started thinking about it because I had friends who were doing marathons and things. And, uh, and I think I mentioned to you a few days ago, it was, I, I really started thinking about it when you started doing cyclocross, hmm. um, because, and I never, I'd run sometimes, uh, but, I, but I'd never been like a, like a really, a big runner and I didn't really like it. Uh, but you'd the never thing done that, like a charity 5k or something. No, huh. uh, I, 
I'd run for like, I tried running for fitness or on the treadmill, but I would really like do the rowing machine. And I did, I mean, I, I, I like hiking. I'm a, I'm sort of like a generally outdoorsy person, but anything that was like team sports, forget it. Yeah. Or any sort of organized sport. I, I just wasn't into it. Um, but I was always, and I, I was always embarrassed that I was a crappy swimmer, which was weird because I grew up in Southern California. I, I, you know, there were pools everywhere. I took swim lessons. I would swim out in the Pacific ocean, Mm -hmm. but I could never, I never had technique. Yeah. Um, I couldn't, I could put my face in the water and breathe. And, um, and, and this had always like my whole adult life. I'd felt really embarrassed about this, that I love swimming, but I can't swim. And I'd made various attempts to like have a friend help me and stuff like that. <laughs> yes, this is exactly where I'm at. Um, anyone I know who swims as an adult, they always turn out to be like, oh, I was on the high school swim team. That's where I learned yeah. how, how lanes work, how etiquette works, how flip turns work. And right. how do you do it as an adult? How do you go from yeah, it, like, you know, dog paddle to swimming? Yeah, it was this total mystery world. And so I decided... Um, and this was almost exactly 10 years ago, uh, I was paddling around in my friend's pool and I'm like, Oh, this is really bugging me. And I, I thought, you know, you know how I can learn to swim. If I sign up for a triathlon and I have to swim a mile, I will be able to swim a mile by the time that triathlon rolls around. And, uh, and I learned it the same way I learn everything, which was out of a book. (laughs) Because I'd always gotten so self-conscious if I had a friend, like I tried this, I had friends who were on swim team. And of course, it's so hard to teach people things that that you do really easily, right? Yeah, swimming is, I I think of swimming also being like weird, opaque rules. Like if I was Mm going to teach you how a road race, bike race goes, I mean, it would take eight hours and there's all this like subtle French culture I have to teach you. (laughs) (laughs) And I I get the feeling swimmers have a secret language. They have a secret, like sixth sense when they're in the pool of what they're doing and what they're looking out for and i yeah i i I was literally looking for like adult swim lessons but not like beyond not drowning like adult pro swimming like i have no idea so a book which book did you read oh god it's a book it's called something like triathlon training right so i got this book and and the book was so helpful to me because uh it explained like it was sort of like how to think about swim technique because this, it works really well. Like I get super self-conscious if somebody is like, like forget like yoga class or wherever somebody's like correcting my posture. So I get, I get self-conscious if somebody's like trying to tell me how to like move my body. But if I read in a book, like the way to think about your position in the water. And then the nice thing about San Francisco is there are a lot of public pools in the city. And I, I didn't realize this until I needed a pool. It wasn't until after I'd signed up for the triathlon and I thought, okay, I have to learn to swim. I have to find a place. And I, I looked at the why and the why had adult swim lessons and stuff. And it all just seemed like daunting and you'd have to figure out your class schedule and the class is filled up. So I said, fine. I, then I, I Googled pools and I found out, oh, there are all of these buildings because I grew up in Los Angeles where all the pools are outdoors. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know what public pools in San Francisco looked like. And I thought, oh, those weird buildings that are in parks, <laughs> those are pools and they're open year round. And I guess then it's six bucks now, but then it was four bucks. 
And you just have to know when the lap time is. And so I started out, so I read in the book what I needed to do. And I got in the slow lane. And it, the nice thing about public pools, unlike, you know, Equinox Fitness or something, is it's just a random assortment of the public. And yeah. I love that. Like, I love public spaces like that. Yeah, it's intimidating to go to uh, even like a hotel swim yeah. pool, especially if it's just a lane-based one. And you're like, oh, shit, these people are all serious. <laughs> right. No, but not in the public pool, right? The, and the, so the, the slow lane is really wide. And this is true of all public pools in San Francisco. And it's mostly full of like old people bobbing around like jellyfish. And so I just got in there and I started, you know, moving my body in the way that the book had told me to move my body. And I also watched, uh, there are a lot of videos on YouTube of swim lessons and Olympic swimmers talking about their technique. And I, I made it like I would sputter. I inhaled water. I made it half a length and then I could make it a little more. And then I started really putting it together and I could make the whole length of the pool. And I just, I kept, I went like three times a week. I would just get up in the morning before work, ride my bike to the pool. I would bring all my stuff with me so I could change for work. And this was just what I would do three or four mornings a week for months until I could swim. That's great. <laughs> and now, no, it shocks me. And now I can't believe it's like 10 years later. And I thought of myself as in it, like having this great embarrassment in my adult life of not being able to swim. And now I'm... Uh, I could just, you know, jump in and swim around and I've got, you know, good endurance and stuff. And it's amazing to me, like that I, I gained a new skill. So did you have to teach yourself how to run at the same time for that first triathlon? Um, what, what did I do for the running? Yeah. Like the book was really good. <laughs> Cause the book, Seriously, I, I love that you're like couch to 5k couch to mile swim couch to long ass bike ride just all at once to do it all yeah <laughs> um it, it was because the, the book is it was really good because it had like different it was like okay what level are you gonna train it and so it had these programs that were just like basically how much you had to do and it just had technique tips um yeah so then i started running and, and it would say like, here's, you know, you've got to run this many miles a week. And then, then of course the bike riding, uh, uh, the, the bike stuff was really cool because, uh, you know, I would just bike around Moran, which is a great place to, to ride a bike. And, um, uh, yeah, but so the other parts that are tricky about triathlons, so you do the three, you have to do the three things and you, um, you have to also know when to eat, right. Uh, to keep your energy up. And then there's the transition. So, so for me, I think I like triathlon because it's basically a sport that's about running late and having to change shoes, <laughs> which is already my life and eating on the go and eating on the go. And so, yeah, I, so, so that I could do, um, yeah. So you have to do, cause you, you wear a wetsuit. So I had to buy a wetsuit and, um, and you have to swim in the wetsuit and then you peel off the wetsuit, you know, you get out of the water running, you peel off the wetsuit and then you jump on your bike. You have your bike shoes waiting there. You put your feet in your bike shoes and you get on the bike and take off. And so being able to do that transition part quickly is also a part of the race. And then you bike, 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 and then you come back and you switch shoes, switch shoes and then you run, run, run. And you wear like a tri suit, which is like a something that you can both bike and run in that dries really quick. 
And uh, yeah. And uh, so the first one I did was an Olympic distance triathlon in Marin. And the thing that I wasn't prepared for, because I did, because I did this all on my own, but then I did a, there was a coach clinic day, like a month before the triathlon. And that's when I got into open water and the water up there is so muddy. It's in, um, uh, off of God, what is that? It's like San Rafael. It's right off San Rafael and, uh, and it's opaque. And so I, I got out there, drove out there. The coach gave us some, you know, tips and stuff. And he's like, okay, now we're going to essentially do the entire course. Uh, and I put my face in this water that was opaque, and and that's when I freaked out. Yeah, that's why I've heard that the a lot of um, open water swimming is learning how to deal with anxiety because mm-hmm. you cannot, you can kind of feel splashes from other people. That's the problem of being. There's the problem of just swimming in opaque water. You can't see through, even if you're wearing goggles. Then there's the problem of other people and slamming into you. And if you're going the right direction, and how far are we? I can't see anything. Like. That had yeah. to all be going through your mind. Yeah. So the the New York City Triathlon actually hired psychologists because they <laughs> saw so many people who were totally trained walk up to the start of the race and just look at the water and walk away. <laughs> because it really is. It's psychologically challenging. So for me, for just putting having swum in, um, you know, totally clear pools and then putting my face in this totally dark, muddy water. All I could think about was like bodies, like dead bodies, dead bodies. I'm just like, I can't, I can't. And the, so the coach like kayaks up next to me and he's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm fine. <laughs> this is all fine. And I'm like, I've got it. I'm like, I've trained. I've got it. I can't let this get to me. So what I learned is that you, you have to just unfocus your eyes Right. Cause that was the problem. I was looking into the water and trying to see into the water. Mm-hmm. So then if you like, while you're swimming, you focus on just counting strokes and you, you focus your eyes when you sight, right? That's when you lift your head up out of the water and look ahead. But other than that, you just don't focus your, you just put your face in the water and don't look and you just think about where your arms are going. And then you look when you get your head out of the water in sight. And then, it, then that, that was okay. Then yep. my heart rate went down and stuff like that. So a thousand yard stare while you're swimming and yeah. occasionally <laughs> you're bobbing up to go, where's the buoy? Where's the buoy? I guess. Yeah. And the, and when I did the actual race, it was really funny because they warned us that there was a really strong current and I was in like maybe the fourth wave to go or something. Cause they go in order of, it's like they have the elite people and then they were going in order of like these age groups. And, and the, because the current was so strong, uh, it was like watching birds get blown off course. <laughs> right. So you'd see the first group go out and they went, they like, so missed the buoy. And the announcer was like, okay, he's like sight. He told us where to sight, like way off to the right of this buoy. He's like sight there. And then the next group was blown a little bit less off course. And the next, and you could see people learning. It was fascinating. So by the time I went, um, I adjusted enough. So I essentially swam like right into the buoy and I was like, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, what was the dis? So how did the distances break down? What's the Olympic distance? So the Olympic distance is it's, uh, uh, I, I'm not going to remember the kilometers totally right, but it's like a 0.9 mile swim, a 25 ish mile bike ride. And then, um, it's a 10 K run. So then like a six mile run. 
So 25 miles, that's like two, three hours, maybe total three yeah. hours. So I, my goal time was three hours and I came in like just under that. Um, and it was awesome. I felt awesome. It was all really great. And then there's a sprint one that are, that are super short, like maybe 10 miles yeah. of bike riding mm-hmm. and maybe like a four or five laps in a pool and then yeah. five, 5k probably. And that's probably like a one hour thing. Yeah. And then there's the ultimate one, right? Or wait, no, there's half, right? Half, half Iron, Iron Man, Man and then, and then real an Iron, Iron Man. Because and a real so, Iron Man is like eight plus hours, right, for a normal yeah, person? Yeah, it's like 12. And that's the last one. So the last one I trained for. So I've done a half Iron Man. Jesus. Um, and uh, so that was like six hours. Wow. Um, and the the biking was great. It was up in around Russian River. Oh, cool. And uh, so the bad part was that this, the river was really low. So there were places you could practically walk. Um, and uh, But the bike was amazing. The bike ride was so good because it was just through wine country and it was foggy. Uh, and so it was like a gorgeous, fantastic, uh, you know, 56-mile bike ride or whatever. And then the run was a half marathon. Yeah. And that was tough because – it was really hot Ugh. and I, the heat is just terrible and it wasn't as beautiful. And I'd, I'd kind of eaten too much on the, when I was riding the bike. And so I was a little sluggish, but it was fine. Um, and then I, I planned on doing an Ironman and I trained for it. Uh, wow. it, it but then <laughs> this is the problem. I've trained for so many more triathlons than I've done because the day, cause you have to plan in advance and then the day rolls around and, things happen, things come up. And so I was going to do the New Zealand, uh, Ironman and I trained and I was totally trained and I was also going to do web stock and I'm like, cool, I can just hang out in New Zealand for a couple of weeks. And then just like things were going on with the business in retrospect, I should have just, what I wish I'd done is just said, you know, screw it. Everything will work out. I'll just be in New Zealand. But at the time it seemed like I needed to be in California. So I was extremely if you look at the video of my talk from that year of webstock i have like really like bulked up arms and stuff (laughs) i'm the fittest speaker here and the training was amazing because i just i rode my bike i got this bike map of marin and i just like it was like filling out a video game adventure map or something like that it was like i completed marin (laughs) yeah how do you a week by week how do you train are you doing two things a day or is it just one thing a day to concentrate on? Like, do you, how many rest days do you get? Like in seven days, what, what was the average week looking like? Let's see. Um, there was a whole plan again. <laughs> I'm sure Google calendar like <laughs> figures heavily into this. Yeah. Oh yeah. So the, the reason I like triathlon too, is it's a forcing factor, right? Cause, cause I have so much stuff going on always. And, and sometimes I feel like I'm not using my time really well, or I'm skipping meals or I'm not sleeping. But if you're training for a triathlon, like you are sleeping and you are eating and you have your workout scheduled. And that means all of a sudden everything else magically fits around that. This is also why it's like the most selfish sport on earth. Yes. Okay. It absolutely is. Like we have to talk about that for a second because like uh, cycling, cycling takes so much time. Uh, You know, I should be going out for like at least an hour to three hours uh, having, you know, work stuff, family stuff. You're such an asshole to to go off for that. And I used to, in the old days when I ran my own company, I'd always do it between nine and five so it wouldn't infringe Mm -hmm. on anyone else. And now my stuff is pushed to the weekends because 
that's about the only time I can get away. But uh, I can't imagine also swimming. I guess if you're doing 6 a.m., you're not bothering anyone. But running and riding and trying to get all that time for it, God, it's got to be difficult. Yeah, so yeah, you're you're abs- it's such an asshole sport because you also like you <laughs> oh, have to you're buy- also racing no one except yourself, right? Like uh, you just come up with a goal or what do you you try to beat what you did last time? There's no yeah. real Yeah, so it's all you. It's like marathons are very social. Mm-hmm. Like I've done a couple of marathons and that's a really social thing. Triathlon is just you. <laughs> cuz you've got cuz you know like what your goal is for each segment. Um and, and everybody's just doing their own race and you just all happen to be, it's so solipsistic, like sure you're all on the same course. Um, but everybody's just in their own head doing their own race. So the, yeah, the biking is, is crazy. Yeah. So, so Mike was a little annoyed, right? Because it'd be Sunday. Cause this is when I do my long, I do a long run on like a long ride Saturday or Sunday. And then my long run on Saturday or Sunday, which meant like a long run. Like if I'm running 20 miles, that's three hours, right? Something like that. Um, and so I'd just be like, okay, this is when I go out and I'm just running and the rides, you know, every week. So I have a a Garmin that I really love because Garmin has just a really nice dashboard. Mm -hmm. And so what I would do is I'd pick, Cause the bike was the part that I was the most concerned about because like biking a hundred miles, uh, a lot can go wrong. Uh, with the swimming, it's just like, don't drown and, <laughs> and like avoid getting kicked in the face. And that really has a lot to do with just like, I was in, I've been in a lot of mosh pits. Like I used to go to shows <laughs> a lot. And so I'd go to like mosh pits and raves and stuff. And so that's actually really good training for the swim. <laughs> Cause like people are around you, they might be bumping into you. And if that doesn't freak you out and you're comfortable in the water, then, then that's fine. You know, that's just the mindset you have to be in is not like, I'm going to get to the front. The mindset is okay. The, the start of the swim is going to be really chaotic and there's going to be a lot of people splashing around. And if you're in this, like I'm at a rave kind of mindset and at a certain point it'll clear out and you can swim and it's fine. But if that freaks you out, if being in water with a lot of people like, arms and legs and stuff freaks you out, then you'll drown and die. Um, the people who die in triathlons are men in the swim. This, that happens. This is a thing. Yeah. Wow. Because it stresses and it's usually because of an undetected heart defect and the amount of stress in the swim, um, like leads to dying. So, wow. so the important part is for the swim, be calm. And yeah. stay off to the stay stay to the outside and don't try to be like oh I'm I'm going to be in the front of the swim because people just like swim the hell over you. And then uh, running's just running. You just running. Running's run. just running. You just so run. what's what's so bad about cycling? Because uh, if you're cycling, you know, sixty or hundred miles, that's just it's an equipment issue, right? You just have to um, well, you have to make sure that you keep your energy up. And, um, and there's a lot of people around you and, and there's just a potential for crashing, right? You're not going to crash in the swim and you're not going to crash in the, in the run, but you know, something could happen with your bike or (laughs) you might have to change a tire or you could like, you know, go off a mountain or something. And the hilarious hilarious thing you don't know (laughs) is in the cycling community, triathletes are like the lowest rung. Uh, they are the butt of every joke. Uh, Mm -hmm. Um, the people, like if you're, if you, like I, I, I've seen this happen in, in the flesh. I'd shown up to a, 
uh, Chris Horner did a famous ride around Mount Bachelor. We had to climb a mountain and come down it. And uh, we're coming down. We had to drop a couple thousand feet, and we're going like 60 miles an hour. And everyone's staying away from the guy on the tri bike because <laughs> <laughs> they assume he's a terrible bike handler. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's going to his brakes at the wrong time. And the and I think someone went down in the pack eventually at high speed. Um, and I think it was a triathlete. There's yeah. also this joke that um, triathletes always do like out and back. So they always have a turnaround point. And yeah. uh, these people just are not familiar with cycling. And they will, um, they'll do, uh, it's called pedal strikes. When you're pedaling, when you're trying to pedal through a turn, event, uh, occasionally you might hit the ground, you know, if you're leaned over. And if you have to do a 180 degree turn, a cycle, uh, you know, a natural cyclist would know to put your outside foot on the down position so you can really crank over the bike and lean yeah and there's just i mean there's like photo galleries of cyclists laughing at triathletes because they'll put their inside foot down and crash like crash so hard when they're just making a turn like and no one else is around and this is just a thing in uh in cycling (laughs) like it's like you know it's got all these tears like every other sport and everyone's a snob about triathlon Oh, that's funny. Like, I didn't see this is the thing. I was so antisocial. I didn't even like train with people, right? It's and just that's like, fine. That's what you're supposed yeah. to do in a triathlon is not draft ever. And yeah, you've got all those weird rules. Like, yeah, road cycling's kind of a social thing. Uh, about half yeah, you're of in your Peloton, right? Yeah. And you're like, and you're there's yeah, I sort of don't like we should watch a bike race together sometimes <laughs> so you can explain to me because I'm like, how is it a, even a team sport? Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's super team tactics are yeah. important. And then triathlon, yeah, you're never supposed to draft off anyone. You're supposed to stay, what, 10 feet behind people or so, something? Something like that. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you were worried about that part? No, I, yeah, I was worried. I mean, you're a about... bike commuter, and if you go yeah, to Marin, yeah. it's pretty easy to go do 50 miles and come back and have a nice day. Oh, yeah. But I just wanted to make sure that yeah. the training for me was being very comfortable with my equipment, right? Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going to like freak out and do a bad thing. And so, yeah. So every weekend I'd have my like long, you know, I do short rides like over the bridge up to Hawk Hill or whatever, or Sausalito. I, I could do that before work. Cause I'm the thing about triathlon in San Francisco is if you live in San Francisco, it's a super easy place to train four seasons. Yeah, it's true. Right. Cause, cause there's amazing biking, but you just get over the bridge and then you have these hills and mountains and they're gorgeous. And it's really easy to pick a a ride that challenges you at the level you want to be challenged. And, and it's really, really hilly. And so I would just have, I would pick a course, um, you know, I'd say like, okay, I'm going to start, like, I'll do this 40 mile loop or whatever. And, and there's also really good loops, right? So I never did an out and back. It would always be a loop. There's so many good loops. And, um, and so I'd pick one and, and then just ride it until I felt I'd really mastered that particular ride so there's a really good one have you ridden around uh alpine dam uh no i've only done the hills paradise like hawk hill or whatever yeah the super steep stuff that's short and close to the city Uh, yeah so there's an an amazing ride so if you ride from where i live in san francisco it's about a 60 mile it's like 50 or 60 mile and you go through marin um through fairfield and then up uh up into the the hills through Alpine Dam and then up Mount Tam essentially, wow. like almost up to the top of Mount Tam, and then you come down through Mill Valley, and uh, and back, and it is a 
gorgeous. It's just a phenomenal ride. And so I did that one because it was very challenging uh, with the hills. And I just wanted to make sure that I could go downhill fast with a lot of control over my bike. Like that's what I was concerned about training on was the hills. And I did this one several times in a row. And then I could look at all my split times on the Garmin, right? And see like, okay, I, I picked up speed here. I was more confident here. And the thing that freaked me out and the reason why I, I love this sort of training so much is uh, like I was uh, sort of white knuckling it on some really steep parts of the descent a couple times. And then maybe the third time, the third Saturday I was out on this course, I went down this descent and it was like my perception had changed. It felt like I was going slower I could, I, it, it's so, I can't even explain it, but it was like my brain had changed so that my perception of, of speed and control and my senses had all kind of leveled up. Uh, and, and it, I was totally more in control and it was just such an, an amazing feeling of like, wow, it's not just that like my muscles are getting stronger. I'm getting more limber. It's that I am, I'm writing this sort of physical activity into my brain. It was like the matrix. (laughs) And it was faster, even though it felt slow, I assume. Yeah. And I felt, but I, I, I I felt like I wasn't nervous anymore and I was in control and I could just see everything. I could see everything perceived to be differently. And that was cool. And then I'm like, okay, this is amazing. (laughs) But then no race is ever like that. I mean, no races, um, all the triathlons up in Oregon are on extremely flat courses. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you're kind of overtraining, but which is good. You should have great. I mean, that'd build up your bike handling skills way up and uh, yeah. you'll be fine. But are, are, did you find most races were like pretty flat? Well, if the races are around here, then yeah. <laughs> no, then they're, they're mountainous. And I yeah. was training and that was when I was training for New Zealand, which was going to be very mountainous. But the courses like... Yeah, if you pick a, I mean, you can find any. Like, there's a, there's an Ironman in Copenhagen, which is <laughs> probably a great place to start, right? Because the flattest place in the world. Um, but it was, but I loved like, and I would just be out on the bike for hours and hours. Like the longest one, I went out a hundred miles one day. By yourself. By myself. <laughs> That's crazy. And I was like, yeah, and it's just a great, you know, it's beautiful. I just got out there like way, it was so crazy because there's no cell reception in some places and it was just me and it was like going into space sort of because it's like I had my food and beverage on my bike and it was just me and a lot of trees and fields. So is, uh, so yeah, how do you eat um, in an event if you're looking at like, I don't know, I guess Olympic length? So you can't, you can't eat while you swim or what do you eat beforehand and how, how long ahead do you uh, eat? Let's see. Is um, it like oatmeal yeah. two hours before or something? Yeah. And it's like a little bit. And then see the thing about a uh, triathlon that's different from mar- like marathons are hard. Yeah. Um, marathons are really, really hard. Like the, like an Olympic distance triathlon is way easier than a marathon. Um, and even like, uh, in some ways it's harder than like even, even like the half iron man. Uh, because when you're on a bike, like you don't have to eat that much cause you're sitting and bikes are really efficient. Yeah. And, um, and so, yeah, you have like a snack or something beforehand. You definitely, you do the same thing as you do running the night before you totally carb load. You get up, like have a banana or something. Cause you don't want to be like full in the swim. Yeah. 
And then once you get on your bike and once you get out, then you can start at the beginning of the bike, like start eating your gels or your, you know, like whatever. Everybody's food is individual. Some people only use like shakes and stuff. I mean, you can nerd out. Yeah. Like triathletes are the most boring people on the planet. (laughs) Because the, the stuff you can, like, you can nerd out on your underwear. You can nerd out on, like, what sort of, um, like, snacks you eat. And, and you talk about fueling instead of eating. And everybody thinks you suck, right? You so, can't really eat while you run, right? So it's mostly on the bike? Oh, no. You can totally eat while you run. So you eat on the bike, but you can't, like, eat too much. Because you, be, you might be worried. You're like, oh, I've got this run coming up. Yeah. And, uh, and so you have, like... a a lot of it is also make, like making sure your electrolytes are good so you don't like cramp and stuff like that. Um, and you want to make sure you don't eat too much. And then you start running. And, yeah, you totally like you have a little belt full of crap, right? Because I've got my little belt. And you have like your your beverages, like your heed. So they're your electrolyte right. beverages. And, and you just decide like how many calories are going to be liquid. How many are going to be those gross little gel packs? How many are going to be like little candies? And you just figure out like what works for you. And, uh, and then like, as you run, like I would just run along and my, my special food that, that works really well for me for running are those, you know, those gross little orange slice candies. Oh yeah. The ones covered in sugar. Yeah. That are like from Safeway. (laughs) Those are amazing because they're 50 calories each, uh, which is a decent number of calories and they're super cheap. Because, you know, you go to, like, you go to Sports Basement or REI oh, yeah, or something like that. Oh, yeah, four bucks each. Yeah, and it's like these things are like 100 cal. You really start thinking calories per dollar. Because, <laughs> you know, you use a lot. You use thousands of calories if you're doing a whole day of stuff. And that can, that's really expensive. So I'm like, sweet, these orange slices are, you know, you a giant bag. <laughs> yeah. And so that was like, and then you've just got to really brush your teeth really, really well after <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so, I, yeah, I've only done one marathon my entire life cause I did not feed myself well on it and mm-hmm. I couldn't force food down and I hit like 20 miles. You really, you've, de- any human has depleted all their glycogens yeah. and carbohydrates in their blood are gone. And everyone talks about the wall at 20 and it's real. Um, it is, and it I should have started eating at, you know, 16, 18, I couldn't. Mm-hmm. And then that last 10 K was just a nightmare and. Uh, like I never wanted to do it again <laughs> just cause I, I, like half marathon racing was fun and just full marathon is horrible. Like I think it's after three hours, everything just sucks. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing how you think like, Oh, you can run 20 miles and it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. 22. Then, it's the worst thing in the world. 26. Yeah. This last four miles just like, uh, the same thing happens with centuries. Like, um, I can run, I could ride a hundred miles today. Um, I just ran, uh, I mean, I rode 62 yesterday and it was no problem at all, yeah. but like everything after 86 miles or so mm-hmm. is just torture. Like, I don't know if it's probably not food related. It's just like, you know, everything gets sore a little bit. Everything's yeah. just tiring. And, and like, you're like, this isn't very fun anymore. <laughs> like a 75 mile ride and a hundred mile ride are a night and day to me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to remember when, yeah, there's a, there's a very specific place in Moran where I'd often hit that, like coming back and I'm like, Oh, my butt hurts. I would like to stop pedaling. Uh, but I really enjoyed like just being out for, for those long periods of time. But again, yeah, it's super antisocial. You're like, bye. (laughs) I'm not trying to avoid you. I'm just, I'm going to be on my bike for six hours. So how many Uh, can you do a year? It sounds like this is an awesome sport. If you want like this bellwether, this, this goal that's just way off. So, uh, because I, 
it sounds awesome that you can like specify like make all your three months ahead of time or six months ahead of time very specific but so how many can you do a year how many do you end up doing a year how many would you want to do a year oh gosh i don't know it's been a couple you know it's been a couple years since i've done any but some people because i have this one um internet friend and i've met her in person but he signed up for he just got in this pattern of doing races like practically every weekend like these half marathons and then he started doing triathlons and it it really is. And oh, and the good thing about triathlon as opposed to running is very few triathletes get um, like overtraining injuries because you're always cross training. Oh, yeah. Like I feel great when I'm like, I'm trying to think I really want to start training for one now because I had some like health issues last year and now I'm feeling better. And I really, I really want to start training for one because I feel so good when I'm training for a triathlon and I can eat anything. <laughs> like, I've eaten two burritos in the space of two hours, right? Like that's the beauty of if you like to eat, then like do triathlons. You're like, ah, I can eat all the food. Um, And I I just feel really good. If I'm just training for a marathon, then it's like, oh, it's all legs. Yeah. And and you can start um, injuring yourself. But but I think the reason I've had so few problems with injuries is the – it's cause like it's stuff I do anyway. Like I'm always kind of training for a triathlon cause I swim at least once a week. I bike to work and then I, you know, run a couple times and that feeling of just being in balance is really, really good. And so I think you can do more triathlons than marathons, even if you're doing kind of like longer ones, but it really is just, it's logistics. Cause if you <laughs> If you look online, like if you look at Flickr and you look at people's like triathlon setups, they spread out like this is what you do the night before you spread out all your crap oh, and yeah. it's so much crap, but it forces you like, if you need a reason, if you need something to force you to be organized, like everything. In, Cause my, you know, my stuff at home, is like, I've got my swim bag, I've got my running bag, I've got my biking bag. Then you have your, all your little like water bottle container thingies and all the stuff and you just have to have it organized. And then once you have that, and once you have the habit, I think you can then go out and do races, but it's a matter of, it's all planning, um, you know, to make sure that you have all your stuff. It really is like all about keeping track of your stuff. Wow. So it really is like learning three whole sports. I'm surprised just one book was like perfect for you. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it really is. But it's like, it's this one thing and the other sports, right? It's three sports, plus shopping <laughs> plus calendars plus calendars plus eating um yeah so it's a yeah it's a, people triathletes are just jerks right because who has like the free time oh once i was in hawaii a week after the iron man in october or whatever and uh and people were like oh you just missed it and i was like i can't imagine a worse spectator sport right <laughs> like I don't care about any of these people. I don't know what's happening. They're going so far <laughs> away. Like, there's nothing yeah. to see except people struggle and go by you. I mean, everyone would want to be at the finish line, but if you're imagining you're on mile 57 of the century in the middle of it, uh, like, who cares? <laughs> yeah. No, there's a um, – when I did the um, the Vineman race up in, uh, up in Marin, which is the half Ironman, and, like, Mike came out to watch this with another <laughs> friend of ours – and he was all ready to set up and, uh, and he brought his book. He knew the drill, right? He's like, okay, I show up, I look at my watch and I know roughly when I need to be there to cheer when she changes shoes. <laughs> Cause that's, 
parents are like, yeah, you're changing shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Go do your next thing that you're going to do. I'm going to be here reading my book. But then we were with a friend who had done um, uh, triathlons and stuff before. And she was kind of weirdly stressed out about me, like having enough to eat or uh, needing something. And he was trying to convince her. He's like, this is a very well-supported race, right? Of course, there's people out there with snack stations and stuff, but everybody's got stuff. (laughs) And so he was just trying to relax. He thought, sweet, I can sit in my lawn chair and like read a book for six hours. And she's like, no, wait, we've got it. Where is check on the tracker, see where Erica is. And from my perspective, like, it's great to have somebody cheering when you change shoes, but then you're like off for another couple hours doing something else. So yeah, it's a terrible, terrible spectator sport. Why would, (laughs) why, why would you want to see that? Like, I can totally understand watching a bike race, but no, like just you stand there, like you have a beer with them afterwards. Yeah. But then that's horrible because then God imagine like, like I can't, I'm not going to make anybody like, I think I will ultimately, I want to do an Ironman, but I'm not going to make anybody hang out with me afterwards because (laughs) then you have set yourself up for recounting the most boring 12 hours, right? Do you really want to sit down with me while I'm like, okay, well, here's what I ate and then I swam and let me talk you through my hour and a half of swimming and here's what ha- here's how I was feeling at every moment. And then I had to get, let me describe to you getting out of my wetsuit. Uh, that was kind of tough. And, uh, and then I got on my bike and here's my butt was wet. Here's how my butt felt. Um, yeah, and then I had to, like, I was having a problem with one of my cycling shoes. And then let me describe to you the next several hours I was on my bike, which I can go into vast detail. Oh, I had a flat. Let me tell you about how I changed my flat. Then I got back on my bike. Here's how my intestines felt. Um, oh, yeah. And then after this, then I had to run a marathon. And let me now recount for you four to five hours of running uh, and how I felt. I was really chafing. No. <laughs> Why on earth would you, you want to talk to that person? It's like throwing no. an open mic night and having people just tell stories of how they traveled there. That's it. <laughs> oh, so like I couldn't get a cab and then the subway with the number two was out and it took so long to get here. Like, but worse. Oh, I hate worse. travel stories so much. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it's exactly that. It would be like, like it's three to 12 hours of going to a place. <laughs> and nobody cares. But nobody cares. They just, they're so, glad you're done, and that's it. Glad you're done. And it's like, oh, you know what? Don't you have another race you have to start training for right now? Maybe you just get on your bicycle and go away. Yeah. So do you think uh, having a goal of one or two a year is, is normal? Is that, oh, totally, like yeah. Doable? Yeah, because if you're doing a longer one, you need to, you're supposed to do shorter ones, right? Because the short ones are just all, like, I started with Olympic because I'm like, why am I going to bother changing shoes to go a short distance? <laughs> Um, yeah, so you could totally do a few of those a year cause they're not that taxing. And then, uh, you would suggest books for getting started. Yeah. That's good um, enough. It's a pretty well trod and it's been around for what, oh 30 years, 40 years. I, I remember yeah. watching him on like wide world of sports, like the very first Hawaiian triathlon, uh, the, you know, the, the first Ironmans and mm. how the transitionaries, they'd have a timer and it would take like eight or 10 minutes cause they didn't have the clothing. So they would fully <laughs> change into full on cycling clothes from full oh on wetsuit. And then they'd put on total running clothes and they had these little like privacy closets, <laughs> you know, it was, <laughs> it was hilarious cause they would spend eight, 10 minutes like changing from one thing to the next. And now that's unheard of. You basically you're swimming in a like lightweight bike gear that you run yep. in and 
that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I could just, yeah, we could talk for hours just about just the, the kind of spandex and the kind of pocket. <laughs> oh, how keep, thick yeah. of a chamois can you handle? Can you swim yeah. in versus on the bike? Exactly. And, See, and my cyclocross had something to do with it. I, I didn't even know that until you mentioned it. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I didn't you... blog about it. I just started doing it, like, in 2007 or eight. I think. I forget. Yeah. But you mentioned, right, didn't you come in last, your yeah. first? Uh... Second to yeah. last? Yeah. It was great. Okay. It was so humbling. It was amazing. So you did that, because I was thinking about doing this, and I'm like, oh, I've never, like, done this before. This seems so daunting. And I was like, okay, if Matt can go out there and do this thing and then come in second to last or last and be like okay great i'm that was i learned things and i'm gonna go out and do the next one then i'm like okay if he can do that then i can do a triathlon because <laughs> i'm a total failure that's good well <laughs> <laughs> no yeah I, I i i'm not an optimist but i saw it as i have so much room for improvement <laughs> like all i can do is improve from last yeah like i learned yeah. so much on that first race and mm-hmm. kept going and going and going yeah, so so that's what I thought. I'm like, oh, what's the worst that happens is you have a learning experience. That's pretty good. <laughs> so yeah, so then I was, if if you could do that, and then I could, uh, then I could do all these other things. So you're gonna do one this year? Yeah, I think so. I might go back and do the same, the Marin one, which is the the first one I did, and that's that's in the fall, so that's a good long ways off. And I'm thinking about signing up for the. Um, San Francisco Marathon before that, Oof, God. which sucks. Which yeah. really, it sucks. That's but it's so right hilly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the last that that terrible part, the last few miles, the last like four miles or whatever, are through Soma, and there's nobody there, <laughs> and it's empty and flat. Yeah, and it's so. like a Sunday or probably, and there's no one there. Yep, there's oh, no one there, God. and you're by yourself, and it's horrible. So. I did that a few years ago and I'm, I, I want to see if maybe I'll, I'll try it again um, and see if I can train my mind. You know, it's a challenge to be like, okay, what do I have to do to make those last four miles just not suck? Well, now we've got AirPods and podcasts and you can store like gigabytes of audio on your watch. Like, I don't know, it might, might be a less shitty than it used to be. Yeah. So something I did not know about until after I did my first triathlon was the concept of getting chicked. Hmm. Because what I learned is that so women are uh, often like if you get to really long endurance running, um, you know, like the ultra marathons, women Uh start winning. Oh, right. That's true. Straight up winning. So women are so when it gets to be endurance stuff, a lot of times um, women are better like sprinting. Men always win, whatever. But so my first triathlon. I noticed that after the bike part, I really, I felt really good. Like I, like I was really well trained and I started really picking up my pace running and I was running faster than I expected. And, um, and it was kind of a trail run too. And I was really happy and comfortable and I started passing people and I noticed that, so you, there's a protocol, right? You're just like on your left. And then, and so people would say the the thing you've got to say when somebody passes you is like, good job or whatever. Oh, good job. Good job. And I noticed that when I, I passed guys, I started passing all these guys and, and I'd get this like, yeah, good job. You know, like, <laughs> like they'd sound super angry. And I'm like, that was such a weird phenomenon. And one of my friends was like, oh yeah, like you chipped them. <laughs> did they, did they ever like try to sprint for their fragile male ego and like 
pass you back like, immediately? No, no, because because you can't because you'll die, right? Because <laughs> yeah. you know, like if you're doing a triathlon and you've trained, then yeah. you you know what your race is, and you know that yeah, that would only lead to failure, right? If you were doing like a really short, like a, just a running race or something, you might, but you know that um, that that would be foolish. Right, right. If I can only run nine mi- minute miles, there's no reason yeah, for me to go eight thirty yeah. or something. Yeah, but. So they would just be gruff and yeah. So they would they would be they would try to sound because because it's still a public activity where you're like in front of other like there are people around so you're not going to like say anything bad and you're also going to want to give the appearance of being sportsmanlike right this is really <laughs> important like there's a code there's a code to how you know people are in these races just like you were talking about the, the bike racing code but there's a concept of of a woman passing you because it happens in triathlon because there are so many variables that it's not just like a straight running race and um and there's this sort of i don't know if it's slightly like jokingly misogynistic like oh you got chicked but i don't care cuz it turns out i chicked some dudes and then then once i knew what that was i felt kind of good about it but it's <laughs> So there's there's, uh, there's 97,000 results. I've never heard this in my entire life on Google right? for it. Yeah. And apparently, uh, apparently in our equal, uh, you can get chicked or duded. But I don't think getting duded is a big deal. But getting chicked, that, that exists. is That exists as a concept. Up. Yeah, because I can tell you, we, women get duded all the time. So <laughs> There is a, there is a, this is pretty cool, chicked.com is like this, like, um, basically athletic clothing for women that's like taking the turn back it's like yep. ha 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 you got exactly chicked. so that's <laughs> that's part that's part of triathlon that i think can be satisfying for women is uh is that you know you're like oh and i didn't even know i didn't even know my first triathlon i'm like oh i'm just passing these guys and they're telling me they're wishing me well but they don't sound really happy about it huh. I, I had no idea this existed is amazing yeah so awesome get, getting chicked all right thanks for talking erica let's wrap it up and uh sure get everyone out there on bikes and running and swimming and doing all of it once i'm so glad to hear that you started from zero on swimming like i did like i just yeah i never thought i could get over um off the couch just to knowing what a swim lane does and how people are supposed to act in them but that's good to no, know totally totally can and you like obsessed about your stroke and how how deep you are in the water and how what, yep. You have to be as, uh, what, like low drag as possible is the whole mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Cool. All right. Thanks for talking, uh, Erica. Yeah, sure thing. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> okay. Thanks again to Fireside.fm, the uh, podcast host for this show. And uh, just a great, simple-to-use uh, app for podcasting. If you're into it, check it out at Fireside.fm. Thanks. Thanks.